0: Welcome in, everybody, to the Flagship Podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns247.com, joined as always by my esteemed colleague and world traveler, (laughs) Eric Henry of Horns247.com. Eric Henry, fresh from his um, return from Lubbock, where he went and and watched the Texas Longhorns men's basketball team handle business as they seemingly always do on the road in the big 12. Okay. Maybe not at Houston or Kansas, but uh, they bounced back, Eric, but let's see how you survived that trip. I've, I've been to supermarket Serena and it's uh, it's a crazy place and it got real
1: crazy on uh, on Tuesday night. Oh, man, Chip, you said I'm fresh from, I guess, technically, that'd be true. I I, I am fresh from the trip. But I don't know how fresh I am. Because that is a first off, you know, for, for the folks out there who have made that trip that drive. That is a trek. I mean, you know, six hours in the car, I think, you know, about hour four and a half hour five, you really start getting a little antsy. If you're like me, I just like to go straight through, you know, I gas up once, I get a bite to eat at the start of the trip, and I just go all the way through. So yeah, you start getting a little antsy, but so I- I went through and Brownwood yes, and- Yes, sir, that was the route- Snyder I, and I, Sweetwater. I wish I could tell you the the roads, but I'm still a Texas newbie in that regard, but the towns, oh yeah, I, I know those by heart now, sir. Um, I, I'm not a stranger to Lubbock. Uh, I'd been to Lubbock. I covered a game out there when I was uh, covering Conference USA in 2021 so i knew that it's kind of a, an environment but no chip nothing can compare to texas tech texas that is the key from the moment we walked in or i I walked in it was myself and yeah, you know, shout out to esteemed colleague uh, thomas jones awesome american station does great job covering hoops as well but um for the moment i, I walked into a united supermarkets arena chip that place was as loud as seats about fifteen thousand, and i was super impressed with the atmosphere at houston um at uh fertita center um but that's only about half the size of united supermarkets arena and and where the the press seating is you're on the second level there in section 205 and the sound chip 60 minutes before tip-off place probably about half full the booze cascading Down upon the Longhorns was tremendous. I even noted that. And and listen, you know, we can get into it a little bit. I'm sure we will. You know, I I was fired up for what I thought would be a a really unique college basketball environment. Obviously, it it went from being really unique to being rather aggressive and vulgar at times. And Alex said, we'll get into that. But that was a, a experience. Um, I, I, you could tell, like I said, I, I, I'd been to Lubbock before. I'd been to Texas Tech before. I know they're a passionate fan base, rowdy fan base, but uh, it, something about the burnt orange and or white brings out something in them that's just different than any other, uh, any other fan base, sir.
0: Well, you think about the recent history um, from Chris Beard leaving Tech to go to Texas – And then Beard getting fired at Texas, but there's still just this, you know, unbelievable bloodthirsty mentality from tech fans. Whenever Texas comes to town, they want to, they want to beat you and they want to get in your face about it. And it's, you know, then you, what was Flavor Flav doing there for God's sake? Um, When I went out there for Beard's return, they had uh, oh god, Ric Flair. I mean, okay. so you know they they really do w- what they can to make it an event. Um, and then you know what? A minute into the game, Darian Williams elbow finds Max Aesmith's forehead, opens a cut, needs some stitches. Uh, he's out of the game for three minutes in the tech student sections, calling him a pussy willow um, <laughs> there you over go. Yeah. and over and over again. You're like, wait a minute. Your guy just like used a can opener elbow to slice Max Ace face open. Um, and then, oh, flash forward to the second half. Brock Cunningham with what, 10-15 left. Uh, looks like he's doing a tackling drill with Darian Williams. Uh, sends him into the into the scores table, kind of looks at the refs like what, and then and then is, you know, raising his arms to get the students to crank up the volume. Uh, you knew he was gone at that point. He gets ejected, throws his horns high in the air. I mean,
1: Eric, what was the uh, scene like at that point? Listen, so let's go back to the max incident right that where max took the charge It's even as far up as we were sitting it was clear that max ace had gotten just shellacked in the face with an elbow right and then we saw the replay and realized how how significant it was and i think that was the first one when i realized this was a different atmosphere because i'm thinking you know chip we've been in visiting environments right where uh an opposing player gets hit right and it's, and that first reaction from the the fan base the home fan base is like oh come on get up they see the replay and then they're like okay you know they back off right we've seen it a million times so i guess my instinct was like all right they've seen the replay they'll calm down no that was when the pussy willow chants began loudly and got louder and louder so that happened but to what you talked about and and we had a chance to talk um with Brock Cunningham post game and you know listen brock is for longhorn fans that guy's everything you gotta love about the burnt orange and white right An austin kid through and through uh someone who bleeds burnt orange you talk to him and, and i don't want to sit here and say brock was proud of himself i don't want to mischaracterize uh him however i think you know was it the school chip or someone released video of brock going out post game you know to, to the over where the uh the buses were were parked and you know I, again, I don't know if you saw that video chip. Maybe I'm 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 breaking it to you for the first time, but there was video of Brock Cunningham for, for listeners and, and watchers who haven't seen it going towards the buses. You know, that's obviously some tech fans are wanting to say goodbye to the Longhorns, and he's looking up and he's doing this right and letting everyone know, hey, it's Brock Cunningham and the, the security has to be like, all right, Brock, let's let's get out of Lubbock alive here, you know, bring him back to the bus. So uh, again, I don't it's not quite a mischaracterization to say that Brock was proud of himself, but he kind of intimated um that it was a bang bang play <laughs> which again you know you can use your own judgments whether it was bang bang um and, and kind of intimated that listen you know you got to stand up for your guy and max ace who can elbow so that play happens the first beer gets chucked i mean some tech fans said it wasn't upper deck okay i'm sorry i'm not you know well versed in the configuration of u.s supermarkets arena it just it came from high up that's the point all the way down onto the court he came pretty close, uh, you know, within I'd say a few feet of of the uh, the Longhorns huddle, and you know, listen, that was the first sign, and, and we saw you know Rodney Terry actually race out from where he was over to the the scorer's table, saying, "Hey, you know, that's supposed to be a technical foul, right?" He, he gets that call when Brock Cunningham is indeed ejected. This was all happens, and the game was delayed for about eight minutes. You know, as yeah. they're reviewing this and, and cleaning up and whatnot. And then, as Brock is ejected, you mentioned Chip. He throws his horns up, and and that was the one. I, I think Brock would have I, I would have made it through had he not given the horns up. Once he gave the horns up, it was three more drinks that came, you know, careening down from uh, the the top of the arena. And Grant McCaslin had to hop on the mic and be like, "Guys, listen, we've already been hit with two tech two technical fouls. Please stop." And he was, you know, very clear, like, "We, we, we got to get this to stop." And Chip RT even said post game that he thought about taking the guys off the court. With you know the uh, not saying that anyone came you know super close to being hit, um, but however they were aiming. Let's say they had enough aim to get to the Texas bench, right? It wasn't like they were you know missing their target by much. Um, so yeah, it, it was a wild atmosphere and chip. I, I that's why it's tough because on one hand, the things were unacceptable, like the, the the throwing of objects and and the pussy willow chants. But I, I, the other part of me wants to give that crowd credit because even down twenty-something points, they were loud and they just wanted a reason to erupt. But all in all, Chip, we got to give Rodney Terry <laughs> credit. Seventy-two hours after taking a just beat down at Kansas, he got this team ready to go. He took he took it on the chin. And said, "Hey, I didn't get this team ready to play physically and with the intensity that was needed." And he told us post game that we won that game on Sunday when we got back to Austin and we prepared the way that we prepared, we knew that we were going to win that game. So give them credit because, you know, I think you and I may not have been sure that they had this kind of response in them following the the Kansas loss. Yeah. I mean,
0: uh, with just how meek and mild they, they looked at Houston at Kansas, you, you wondered um, and those teams and K-State just sold out to stop. Max A Smith had him. Uh, go through, you know, he scored in single digits in three straight games. He hadn't scored in single digits in his last 98 games at Oral Roberts. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's now number 11 on the all-time scoring list. And um, I thought the Pussy Willow Chance really got Max Acemas going. I mean, he came into that game totally determined. Um, it wasn't a great shooting night for him, but he got to the free throw line, he got to double digits. The inside game was was the difference for Texas, Dylan Dazoo and Caden Shedrick. Caden Shedrick sighting um and Brock Cunningham. And the crazy thing about that game to me was, and it all worked out. It all worked out. You you had Brock lame beer, um, you know, make sure that. Darian, uh, you know, understood that, uh, that elbow to max ace face, not okay. Um, but that was a total disruption to Texas's game because they had taken the crowd out of it. Texas was up 25 yes. when that happened. And then suddenly the tech fans were back in it. The tech players were back in it, Texas, the rest of the Texas players now without Brock Cunningham, who's having a good game uh, because he's in the locker room are having to kind of deal with this new energy. They didn't deal with it. Well, they missed a bunch of shots and suddenly a 25 point lead is down to 12 at the end of the game. But um, you know, if it had been a closer game, that could have been a nightmare for Texas, but it wasn't. So I, I wrote last night, I think Brock Cunningham is going to be remembered more for that play, for taking it up for his teammate, for giving it to Texas Tech one last time in their own building, <laughs> um, as only Brock Cunningham can, because we've seen him, you know, he's got a reputation, The officials give him a quick whistle, he gets called for fouls sometimes when there's not even a foul, but because it's Brock Cunningham. That he gets the whistle now after that game it's only gonna get worse for him but again it was it was just a moment in time that I think Texas fans are gonna say you know what thank you Brock Cunningham for for doing that um but don't maybe don't do it again because this team isn't um it just isn't that strong strong or deep or capable of maybe absorbing a situation like that um, as they try to finish out the season here what they've got the the home game against Oklahoma State they go to Baylor Monday uh, Baylor's trending in the right direction they look good and then um, you know they they finish up uh, at home against Oklahoma so uh, it's it's been an it's been an adventure, Eric, for this uh, for this Texas basketball team. But they desperately needed that win uh, because they had messed up at home against UCF. Um, they let a couple get away. I mean, the one at West Virginia, and and so they desperately needed uh, a win like that. Heck, Jerry Palm had just put him as one of the you know first four out of the sixty eight team field. So. Um, Yeah, we'll. I think in take it or leave it, we'll we'll readdress where the Texas basketball team is in their odyssey to make the NCAA tournament in Rodney Terry's second year as coach. But I'm glad you're home safely, Eric.
1: Oh, man. Like I said, you know, it was it was it's definitely a trip that I knew I had that one circled on the calendar because. Especially, and listen, you know, this obviously goes back much further than the incident I'm going to point to. But in my mind, especially with Brett, your comments, and we saw how that played out during football season, you felt like, yeah. you know. That, we didn't even mention. Yeah. I mean, that Yeah, adds to the history. Exactly right. So you felt like this was one you had to have circle on your calendar. So glad uh, that was what I was able to cover live. It certainly was an intense atmosphere. Again, on one hand, I want to credit. The Tech fans who, who, you know, didn't do any vulgar things and were just loud the entire time, but uh, the, the incidents were certainly, as you talked about, I think you did a great job, Chip, kind of, um, you know, summarizing how that will be remembered by Texas fans in, in years to come. And, and like you said, we'll touch on the Longhorns kind of NCAA tournament hopes. So I'll just kind of quickly put a bow on my final thoughts from the game. You talked about a Caden Shedrick siding. First off, Brock, the seven points, the most he's had since uh, the second to last game before non-conference. Texas A&M Corpus Christi and Brock only had seven right so showed he really got up for this game Caden Shedrick the most points 10 he's had since the Oklahoma outing that's a player chip who I don't know if necessarily we've talked about it enough um we saw the way he started the year we saw the type of empire classic he had that game against Louisville 27 points 10 of 14 shooting yep that it looked like he was just going to be a complete presence for this team down low, and that was before they'd gotten Dylan Dessou back. Right? Then he ends up getting the back, and I asked Caden, uh, and he's probably gotten tired of us asking if he's healthy. But if it's not the shoulders, it's the back, and you got it for a guy who's six ten, you know, about two twenty. If, if it's not his shoulders, his upper half, it's it's a lower back. You know, like that's that's yeah. tough, and he just looks spry last night chip uh, you know uh, i'm i got a little nugget about Kaden my insider or my insider. it's your insider it's my nugget in your insider, um, our, but, insider. our insider but listen rodney terry when i asked him about Kaden shedrick and I, I said hey for a guy's who been banged up do you kind of have to reevaluate what you'd expect from him because he's just so banged up rt kind of laughed um we asked him this in his availability last wednesday or thursday and he said listen uh, i think the best you get to come with Kaden shedrick And maybe he knew that, hey, our big guy's getting getting right at the right time. And if they can get that chip, you saw what that element down low provided for this offense last night. Huge. Huge. So we shall. And and they caught a break because Warren Washington,
0: Tech's seven footer, was still out with the foot injury. And look, Dylan Dazoo struggled to get good shots against. Warren Washington in his 17 minutes or whatever it was in the first meeting. Uh DeZo didn't start in that game, but Warren Washington's a problem. And Texas adroitly went right at the inside game of Texas Tech. And that's that's why in the second half they're you know, I think they shot like three missed three threes in a row and they ended up Texas ended up 1 of 10 from 3 I'm like why are you even shooting a 3 you're getting whatever you want down low and credit to Kendall Weaver because he kept driving to the basket and got fouled and ended up hitting 5 of 7 free throws um and and he needs to continue to do that because he's so bouncy so athletic and and is capable of uh of drawing fouls and and scoring from the from the foul line he ended up having a, a good game and um, you know, Dylan Mitchell, it was weird. He took that awkward Euro step and yeah. looked like he rolled his ankle. He's out of the game for a good chunk of the first half. Then he comes back in the second half and looks like a new man. He's making some great offensive rebounds, some great passes out to Max Acemus for a three. Um, they just need to keep that energy and And we say that a lot with that Texas basketball team. But look, you're not going to play a a lot of better defensive teams than Texas played in that stretch against Houston. Uh, K-State had the best field goal percentage defense and three-point field goal percentage defense in the Big 12 when they played them. And then Kansas was clearly locked in because when BYU rolled into town, it was as if if KU – and practice so it, clearly they they wanted to send a message to Texas that was more of a, an emotional game for KU than maybe they had anticipated cuz they cough up a lead against BYU at home so it's uh yeah it was a good win i mean it was a good win and now um and like we said fortunately the 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 Brock Cunningham situation didn't develop into a melee there were no punches thrown fans threw some stuff on the court, they got punished for that. But, you know, that could have been a, a disaster, but it wasn't. And uh, and Texas fans, I think, felt really satisfied with that win, with, you know, Brock, um, you know, making sure that uh, his guy, Max Aismas, didn't need six stitches in vain. But, uh, uh, Eric, we do have some football. To get to football season never ends here on the flagship podcast. Of course, um, you've been writing uh, position inventory stories heading into uh, spring football, which begins March 19th. You've written about quarterbacks, the running backs, the receivers. um, And of course, we've got the NFL combine going on and uh, the first position groups. To uh, go in front of the media, the defensive linemen and linebackers. we heard from Byron Murphy and Jalen Ford uh, so far from from the combine. okay, so we've got a lot to get into. Um, I'll let you pick where where you want to start here.
1: I'm gonna start with the receiver edition of my position inventory series, which again, if you haven't a chance to check it out, giving you guys a little little, little something, showing you guys a little appreciation, a little love for you guys loving us. That is a free read out there, horns 247com Check it out. Um, Here is the big thing. I'll kind of touch on some of the high-level notes and then kind of get into what I think should be the big storyline for this position group heading into spring and then into fall. So let's start. We know this is a receiver room that's been bolstered i'm going to try to get over my mental block watch me chip i'm going to say it there are three receivers added to this roster matthew golden silas bolden and isaiah bond there we go you're brave i don't ever put
0: golden and bolden next to each other i always (laughs) either go golden bond bolden or bolden
1: bond golden so you gotta gotta conquer your fears right have to conquer your fears so uh, listen, that receiver trio, obviously you know, for Steve Sarkeesian, it's a haul. I mean, to go out and get two number one receivers and a guy who you can consider a 1A and Matthew Golden, obviously uh, his first year, he was the understudy to Tank Dell. So certainly no question who was the number one receiver in Houston his freshman year. But last year gets a little banged up, but still a number one target to get those that type of talent here to help bolster that room, a room that had only eight receptions all oh, was jante cook's eight receptions returning from last year with the departures of xavier worthy and Adnai mitchell and jordan whittington of course casey k and isaiah nair hitting the transfer portal so uh you know we're going to run it down right so for the short-term outlook it's huge you get those three guys this year is solidified what does that do for the long-term outlook of this room chip i think it's very similar to quinn ewer's return at quarterback right it extends all of the young guys, the underclassmen, by one year in terms of a, you have that position set. Ryan Wingo, you know, um, uh, Parker Livingston, and 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 um, Aaron Butler, and and Ryan Niblett, Jonte Cook, DeAndre Moore. I just named six guys right there who are underclassmen. We can get into whether whether or not you know one or two of those guys may transfer out, but that's further down the road. At least right now, you know, you have six guys at that position who are stocked, So you're not needing to go to the portal again, possibly down the road in the future, right? That takes care of that, uh, that portion of it. Also, I'm afraid to Thank you. I forgot him as well. Um, it also allows for some of those younger guys to develop, right? Ryan Niblett, Deandre Moore, Steve Sarkeesian was adamant throughout the season that those guys didn't see time last year, not because of any real, you know, impediment of their own just the fact that there was much death at that receiver spot and those veterans were guys that he had seen you know tried and true depended upon to be in the right spot the right time in what was a very pivotal year right so you have to think the spring is huge for those guys to develop you have Jonte cook someone who broke out of that pack that trio of true freshmen to earn playing time on the field now here's the big picture in terms of and we could probably push this back to short-term outlook this year right if you remember entering last year because you were getting Isaiah Nayor back, you add A.D. Mitchell, you had Xavier Worthy returning, you had this the veteran in Jordan Whittington, right? Even had a Casey Kane, who certainly had played a lot of time at Texas prior to last year. The, one of the conversation points was, do you see more four receiver sets from Steve Sarkeesian, right? And even on our, and I want to shout out, you know, our boards have speculated about that as well. Do we see more 11, per, see more 10 personnel, which allows for more four receiver sets, Well, you have to check Steve Sarkeesian's history, even at Alabama, while he's had multiple receivers break out and have thousand yard seasons together, primarily in his recent history, he's been a guy who you're going to see a lot of two tight end personnel, even, and that carried over from Alabama to his first year at Texas, and then carried over um, into the second year, which was JT Sanders primarily as the receiving tight end. And of course, Gunnar Helm was the blocker. Now with Gunnar Helm's, you know, kind of expanded athleticism, that, saw him kind of lock down his spot, not only as just a blocker, but someone who could do things in the pass game, right, Chip? Well, why do I mention that? It's the numbers game. You only put 11 on the field, right? So if if, 11 players on offense. So if you're going too tight, that means you're going to be in a three-receiver set primarily. Where does that leave the receiver room? Is it Golden, Bolden, and Bond? And those are your three? Jontae Cook, someone who, again, it just seems ready on the verge of a breakout year. Steve Sarkeesian said after the Oklahoma game, he was kicking himself for not getting him on the field more. It, it, does he cause one of those three you know, transfer guys to not be in the rotation should it be more uh, two tight end 11 personnel look, right? Uh, excuse me, two, uh, 12 personnel look, right? So th- that's the question you have to ask yourself there. So that to me is a really intriguing storyline. And I'm going to round it out with this, Chip, because I think this is the question I am looking forward to asking Steve Sarkeesian. How many times last year did he say, what I like about this team is that we're versatile. We can win in many ways. When I asked him when he started to identify that, he said it was really during the spring, that they didn't have to be a team that had to go throw it 40 times or had to run it 40 times, that they could find a a bevy of ways to win. Well, I want to see what is that identification process like now? Because is it a game-to-game situation, Chip? where this opponent means we, we may go a little more with four receivers and this opponent means we go more too tight end or is it just hey i gotta stick with my bread and butter you i you got three guys who are gonna crack this lineup and amari kneeblack and gunner helm are gonna be my tight ends and we'll let the, the competition be as it may because we can't even forget knee is someone from a receiving perspective chip maybe almost even more dynamic than jt and he's gonna need snaps as well so uh, I know I said a lot there, but all storylines, I think you have to start watching from spring because I think spring is where Sark kind of identifies these things. And then in fall, maybe that kind of solidifies the thinking he had in the spring.
0: Yeah. Um, he'll be able to get lots of reps for the receivers, all the receivers in the spring. Um, then it will get interesting because we thought maybe, with guys like Isaiah Nayer and and Casey Kane, that maybe Sark would use more four receiver sets. Last year was not the case, as you pointed out. He has always been, or he's been a predominantly two tight end guy. He likes to use the the blocking type. Well, one of the two tight ends uh, for motions to to try to help the quarterback determine if the defense is in. Um man or zone, so it would be a interesting departure for for sark um but you go with where your where your talent is and um and so we shall see but uh yeah it's 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 gonna be fun i mean the spring is gonna be a lot of fun to watch who emerges at the receiver position because my gosh, what an embarrassment of riches. You've got Ryan Wingo, as you mentioned, if you, you know, the bigger guys, he and Parker Livingstone, and then the speed guys, um, Freddie DuBose, Aaron Butler. Um, Obviously you've got, um, you know, Jonte Cook uh, coming back, DeAndre Moore, Ryan Niblett. And I've heard really good things about Ryan Niblett and you haven't, seen him at all so this uh if if Sarkisian can pull this off and keep that entire room happy uh, going into the fall and look he can he can say look I had Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy and Jalen Waddle waiting in the wings pro bowler Jalen Waddle, um and John Mechie and so you know Sark's got this unbelievable history, where at the quarterback position and one quarterback room, he had Carson Palmer, Matt Leinart, and Matt Castle. Um, Matt Castle never started a game at quarterback at USC. Got drafted, played 14 years in the NFL. So Sark's got a lot of um, credibility built up with not only recruits but also the NFL. The NFL loves Steve Sarkeesian offensive players. And, and so, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, the running back room, they didn't have to go bring anyone in because they liked what they saw from, um, Jaden Blue and CJ Baxter. And obviously, we talked about the, the quarterback room previously with Quid Ewers, Arch Manning, and Trey Owens. And, um, and so Quinn Ewers has been the focal point uh, leader in winter conditioning, and he he wants that. He wants this team um, to continue to ascend. It's not like, okay, we won. We won a conference championship. Now we can relax. No. So, I mean, Texas is going to go into the season probably as a top five team and a team that is seen as a threat to challenge for the sec in in year one, which is amazing compared to where we were, um, in Steve Sarkisian's first year on the job. Um, all right, we'll get in, we'll touch on a little football and the, in take it or leave it. Um, and we'll have more on the combine in next week's flagship podcast, because we'll be able to recap it all. Um, but a couple of interesting notes and, um, you you wrote about this uh, today, Eric. Uh, Jalen Ford uh, giving some sugar to to Mo Blackwell. Um, Byron Murphy gave some sugar to Anthony Hill um, in terms of players on the rise uh, when they were in their their combine interviews. Um, we wrote about Mo Blackwell in the Insider last week. Uh, as a guy who is standing out and a guy who's you know trying to put on some weight to be a an inside linebacker as well as an outside linebacker, but um you know that that linebacker position is going to be fun to watch as well because we've written about Kendrick Blackshire as well, the transfer from Alabama, who you know thought he should have been the starting middle linebacker at Alabama last year
1: no doubt about it chip i mean we even that doesn't get to guys like you know younger LaFao, who, who you know showed some promise of his own and, and in many ways was kind of supposed to be the heir apparent right to Jalen ford that inside spot and the you know i think a lot of this chip in my mind kind of hinges on i'm kind of curious how you feel about it um or actually before i even go down this road mo blackwell is someone who you really wonder had he not gotten banged up when he was competing for that job in fall camp how much time he would have gotten on in the onset of the season because we know his time picked back up um towards the end of the year and the versatility he provides as someone who a former safety we can line up in the nickel and, and and play that as well as well as you know being a guy who plays the run but chip what i want your thoughts on is it kind of feels like this comes down to and you let me know for them off base anthony hills continued development because you even hinted at you know him possibly playing some time inside right and if his football uh, IQ versatility just progresses to the point where he can but a guy who can play. It isn't just, you know, Hey, go find the ball, go find the quarterback. We know you can do that, but also plays inside. It just comes down to versatility again, because we can move him around, right? You know, uh, on third downs situationally, he's going to be a, a pass rusher, right? So that's going to allow you to get another player on the field and you can kind of move him around like a chess piece. So if he can show that, that progression to play inside, I feel like that, that even, almost opens up things more for some of the other guys because then he's not just locked in at one spot. What what says he trip? Yeah. I mean, Jalen Ford said
0: after the big 12 championship game that he felt like Anthony Hill was going to be the heir apparent and middle linebacker because he's so physical. He can run. He's, he's, everybody knows the kid's a a star. Um, David Benda can play inside he can play outside mo blackwell's trying to put on weight to be able to play inside kendrick blackshire we know is a middle linebacker lianga lafau is a middle linebacker who jeff choate said at sugar bowl media day is an elite pass dropper so now you've got johnny nansen coaching that position group and and let's see how they progressed because you're right. If if you don't need Anthony Hill on the edge because you've got Darian Gallette and Colin Simmons as guys who can be situational pass rushers, and Anthony Hill can hold down the middle and be a, a three down, um, you know, inside linebacker. That's that's huge because you know when he got to um Denton Ryan they they did the same thing that Texas did it was you know c ball hit ball and then they developed him at the middle linebacker position and he was a force there so um this is this is a big spring for him in terms of his comfortability in uh in playing on the inside and so It'll be it'll be fun and be fun to see how Johnny Nansen uh, identifies with these players uh, and and how he thinks they fit in to the defense, because obviously it's it's his show now. And um, and that's a position where all eyes are, you know, glued because of Jalen Ford being a first team all big 12 guy the last two years and you don't want position drop-off. So um, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. So, all right, before we get to take it or leave it, a couple of quick mentions. Uh, Texas women's basketball, full disclosure, we're recording on Wednesday, February 28th, and the Texas women's basketball team is playing uh, tonight against Oklahoma. In a game in Norman with Big 12 regular season title implications, Texas lost to the Sooners in Austin on January 24th in a game that um, produced an epic rant from Vic Schaefer, who said, I don't care if I'm coaching in Timbuktu. You're not going to play for me that way. Um, Didn't like the team's juice he didn't like their lack of hustle on defense um and um uh OU doesn't have of their top five scorers they don't have anyone taller than six foot one and um you know jenny barancic set up her offense at the free throw line and backdoored texas to death And we saw a little bit of a matchup zone from Vic Schaefer after that. So I am intrigued to see how uh, Texas, uh, how the Texas women respond. OU was in this exact same spot a year ago. Chance to clinch at least to share the Big 12 regular season title in Norman against Texas. And Texas beat them 67 to 45. So, um, you know, Coach Brancic was like, uh, we weren't ready. We uh, blah, blah. We made it too big, so she's hoping she can, you know, make it just another game in the process. Uh, And Texas baseball, uh, not quite sure what to make of um, three straight shutouts against Cal Poly, but it was good to see the pitching. Um, LeBaron Johnson, Charlie Hurley, Cody Howard, all went significant innings in in their shutout victories. Uh, looked good. And then in a win over St. John's, we saw an inning of relief, a closer type situation. It was a 17, four win from Tanner Witt who wasn't, you know, he's got some bone spurs or something, something's bothering him um, in terms of maybe extended innings, but uh, he was able to uh, pitch one, uh, Strong inning there at the end of that uh, St. John's win. Now we get down to business. Texas taking on LSU, Texas State, and Vanderbilt this weekend at Minute Maid in Houston. So we'll have uh, we'll have much more on that next week. All right, Eric, you ready for some take it or leave it? I am ready, sir. All right. Well, then don't go anywhere, kids, cause your favorite part of the show is coming up next right here on the flagship podcast. All right, and if you're watching us on the Horns 24-7 YouTube channel, we will roll on with some take it or leave it, Eric.
1: All right, take it or leave it, number one. Your way-too-early prediction is Houston transfer, Matt Golden, will lead the team in receiving yards and receiving touchdowns in 2024. Chip Brown, take it or leave it. You know what? I'm going to leave this. Because I get
0: the feeling that Matthew Golden will lead in one of these categories. He could be the A.D. Mitchell. He could lead in the receiving touchdowns category while Isaiah Bond leads in receiving yards in my way-too-early thought process on this matter, Isaiah Bond. or Jonte Cook, depending on who, you know, totally blows everyone away in the um, in in spring football and into fall camp. But I'm going to leave this, Eric, because I think uh, I think Matthew Golden could lead in the touchdown catches, but I'm not sure he leads in
1: the receiving yards. What say you? I am going to go all in on this one, Chip. Uh, I'm leaving it. But I believe you and I have similar thought. I think Matthew Golden will lead the team in receiving touchdowns. I think Isaiah Bond will lead in receiving yards. And whoever else, whether it's Silas, uh, of course, right? Ah? Silas, 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 Bolden, Silas, B, Silas, right? Uh, Silas Bolden um, or Jonte Cook, right? Uh, whichever one of those uh, players gets the, those essentially other receiver snaps. I think they'll lead in receptions. So I think it's going to be three different players across the board. But for this one, I am leaving it, Chip. Okay. All right. Uh, Take it or leave it number two. Eric, the
0: thought of relying on true freshman punter Michael Kern from your great state of Florida. Um, The thought of relying on freshman punter Michael Kern in 2024 makes you want to reach for the Tums.
1: Take it or leave it. I am leaving it. And I think I've hinted at this before on the podcast with Michael Kern from a big time program down there in South Florida, Fort Lauderdale, St. Thomas Aquinas program that has put out many of many division one prospects. They play uh, on big time in, you know, atmosphere big time environments all the time. Now, listen, I am not comparing STA versus, you know, Cardinal Gibbons, which is probably one of the hottest, you know d1 factory rivals rivalries in Broward County I'm not comparing that to you know having a punt and you're backed up in your own end zone and you're at the Cotton Bowl and you got half of the stadium in burnt orange and half of the stadium you know in 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 in, in OU jerseys right I'm not comparing the the two environments what I am saying is this isn't you know the average punter who punted at you know insert school in you know Some 3a right you know no. who just has a who just has a big leg and got the scholarship. No, like Kern's pun in big environments. I think he'll hand himself. Well, I think he'll be able to adjust. So it does not make me want to reach for the Tums chip. What about you?
0: Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to take this until I have a better idea. And Michael Kern is not going to get here until the summer. So it's uh kind of a wait and see on this one. And our man, uh, Jeff Banks is kind of a magician. He, I mean, Daniel Trejo, two years ago, like appeared out of nowhere from Texas Wesleyan. And, and the guy was solid. So um, I'm not saying that, you know, Michael Kern isn't going to be able to handle things. um, But until I see it, hear it, Plus, Ryan Sanborn that really was a great find. And, I mean, that guy had a really good year um, for, for Texas punting the football uh, last year. And I think he didn't get enough credit for for what he was able to do. But I'll be the guy that's, you know, I'm not as familiar with Thomas Aquinas High School as my man Eric Henry from the – Sunshine State, isn't that the Sunshine State? It is the Sunshine State, correct. It is the Sunshine State. All those oranges, orange juice, great orange juice down there in Florida. Um, I'm not as familiar with Thomas Kwanis High School as my man Eric Henry. He says, no need for the Tums. I'm going to grab
1: the Tums just, uh, just for now. And to round us out, Chip, your level of confidence in Texas making the NCAA tournament After the win at Lubbock, leaving (laughs) West Texas' conquering heroes, (laughs) Um, making the NCAA tournament is now a 7 or higher on a scale of 1 to 10. Chip, take it or leave it. I'm going to take this.
0: I'm going to take this. Come on, Texas. Handle your business against Oklahoma State. Don't put the banana in the tailpipe here. Handle that business. And and then if you go to Baylor, you know – No one's expecting you to win that game, but Hey, Texas is crazy. The, their record on the road. It's, Hey, can't rule anything out. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go with this. I'm going to take this, Eric, seven or higher, uh, confidence level of Texas making it into the NCAA tournament. How about you?
1: Chip, I'm taking it, um, at the end of the day, and I don't want to rehash the statistics that I pointed out about, you know, Iowa State in 2021, Mississippi State last year. But at the end of the day, I always felt that if Texas made it to 8 and 10, considering the depth of this league, I felt like they would make it. Right now, now had they lost against Texas Tech, lost against Baylor, and they only get those two wins against uh, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, you feel very much on the bubble, right? You, you, You can't go into Selection Sunday feeling like, okay, we can breathe a little bit easier, but I felt that they would make it even if those were the circumstances. Now you add in this win against a Texas tech team that prior to their loss against UCF was a top 25 team. So this is a very, very good win. If they can do what they need to do, which is take care of business against Oklahoma state, take care of business against Oklahoma. Yeah. Cause then you're talking about a nine and nine big 12 team. There's no doubt they're making the NCAA tournament, but as the question is constituted, this moment, it's seven or higher, and I say yes, Chip. Okay.
0: There you have it, kids. Um, thanks, everybody, for tuning into this episode of the Flagship Podcast. We will have much more on uh, the long, 11 Longhorns at the NFL Combine, uh, Texas basketball, Texas women's basketball, baseball. Lots going on, so don't miss an episode. Of the flagship podcast, make sure you like and subscribe to the YouTube channel and, um, you know, wherever you listen to us as a as a podcast, feel free to give us a five star rating. Um, a nice review. We we take it all. Um, but until next time for Eric Henry, I am Chip Brown. Till next time, we'll see you over at Horns247.com.
1: Stay safe and keep the faith.